Hey, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, let's remind ourselves of this. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. So, in every single week that we've done on this series, we believe that from beginning to end, everything, everyone say everything. I know we're light today, but you got to be up for me today. Everyone say everything. Everything revolves around Jesus. That's why when people say, what kind of church do you go to? You can say, I go to a church that believes everything is about Jesus. Jesus is the big deal. Jesus will always be the big deal. And especially to us personally, Jesus is a very, 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 I'm going to say it one more time, very big deal. So that's what the Bible is all about. So whether you've been tracking with us from the beginning, whether you're jumping in today or whatever the case may be, we have been going through the major, major themes of the Bible, not just picking out some story to share, but the major themes so we can understand how from beginning all the way to the end in Revelation, how this story weaves in and out of it being about Jesus. And today we're gonna be looking at a very, very wise man, much wiser than I, that's for sure, but a guy by the name of Solomon who was the son of King David. If you were with us last week, we talked about the kings and the prophets and we went straight to David. David was a very big deal. We know he's from the tribe of the Lion of Judah. We know that Jesus comes from that same lineage. And now we're going to the very next king that God puts in place. If you remember last week, we said it is God who puts kings in place. So this was a part of that plan. But Solomon goes down as as a wise man. Now, he wasn't just King David's son. We know that to be true or the accessor to the throne. But he was a wise king who sought the Lord for wisdom. And what I love about this is he sought God for wisdom, not for his own gain. How many of you guys know somebody in your life that no matter what you say, they're right, you're wrong? Anybody show of hands? You ever met somebody that just says they, they, they know it all, so now we label them a know-it-all? You know, we, we talk to people, and uh, they've just got it all figured out. And I think there's some things to be confident in, um, and there's some times that you should listen to other people so you can be much, much smarter. What I love about Solomon is right from the get-go, and I want us to get this, right from the very get-go, Solomon did not want to be wise for his own benefit to say that he was the smartest, to say that he had the most. The heart of Solomon was to be the wisest in order to judge not just people, but to judge God's people. And that's mightily important. So the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter one, God's talking, him and Solomon. It says, on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask, what shall I give you? How many guys would would like God to just come down in the flesh right in front of you to where you can see it and God look at you and say hey what do you want well, I think we probably have some answers for that am I the only one yeah we, we probably have some answers God is speaking to Solomon he says ask what shall I give you and Solomon said to God watch here you have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. I love verse 10. Now give me wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. It says, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? 
Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, I love this next part, that you may judge my people, God's people, over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, and this part is fantastic, such as none of the kings who have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. Let me just say what that means. That means even in the day of today, God is saying there is not a man on the face of the planet or a woman on the face of the planet who will ever have as much as Solomon. Let that sink in. And all of that is based upon this. He wanted to judge God's people right and fair. And for him to do so, he realized that I have to have wisdom to do that. We know that King Solomon was also the author of Proverbs. You guys have heard me say this, a proverb a day keeps the stupid away. <laughs> I believe that to be true. The doctors can have their apples. I just want, <laughs> I want to be wise. Man, I tell you, have you ever just said something stupid out of your mouth? Anybody show of hands? All of us? Okay, have you ever done anything stupid? I know stupid is probably not a word used too much in church, but I just, I can't pass that up. If you go to the very first book of Proverbs, you see that the book of Proverbs is a word or words of wisdom that is literally directed to you and I so that we would be smart enough to make the decisions that we need to make on a daily basis. So we know that Solomon, even with a few other contributors, are responsible for Proverbs, for Ecclesiastes, and ready for this one, even for the book of Job, that they've got some say on this one. Now, when you read the book of Job, goodness gracious, look out. It's a hard book to read, but we know that Solomon plays a part. Now, when you read through the story of Solomon and all these books, again, I know I'm beating it down, but this is the case. It's all about wisdom. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So in other words, you cannot have wisdom unless you first have a fear of God. Now this fear isn't, I'm afraid of God, I'm timid of God. This fear is, it means an, an awe of God. In other words, it means that I base my life around the fact that God sees everything that I do. And there's an awe that comes. There's an awe that comes because we all do that when we sin and when we mess up, that the fear of the Lord, this is like, man, I, I don't want to hurt God because he's so good that I have this fear. And it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I would go on a limb to say that someone who does not fear the Lord is not wise because you have no foundation upon which to build your fear or your, your wisdom. It has to first start with understanding that God is God. Amen? God's God. Now here's the deal, if God is God, to you personally, do you fear God? Do you look at your decisions, the way that you speak, the way that you act, the things that you do, the direction that you're going with your life, and does it reflect a person that says, I want to be where God wants me to be, and it must start with a healthy fear of God. Goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So as I understand God, He becomes holy goes on to say in Proverbs 23, 23, says to buy truth or buy the truth 
and do not sell it. Then it also says, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So we can see all the way through the life of Solomon, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, even into Job, that there is a, a need and a want and a desire for wisdom. Now let's get personal. What I love about the year of the Bible is yes, we get context. Yes, we get cultural. Yes, we get all of this stuff. By the way, did you know, it's a fun fact for you guys. Here we go, I'm spacing out. Did you know that to be a good king in the Bible, you only had to do one thing? When you read the story of the kings, go to David, you can even go to Saul before that. And this is where you really see this principle to be true. You can go from Saul to David to Solomon, these kings. You wanna know what made a good king? It wasn't how well they governed people. Because pe kings can govern people well, but still be a horrible king because they can fake. In the Bible, the way that you were labeled a good king was simply this, you feared God and you did what God said. That's why Saul doesn't go down as a good king in the Bible because he did not do what God said. David goes down as a king after God's own heart. We know that to be true, but his life was full of mistakes that God forgave and that's why God called him a man after my own heart. It was because of the confessional life of David. But if you were to be a good king in those days, it always resulted around a person who heard from God and listened to God and did what God said. That's what made a good king. So it, it brings me to this point to understand the cultural context of, of the whole Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But if I get to you and I, I'm just curious. And especially for those of you watching online, you can do a little emoji hand raised in there, okay? I'm curious. How many of you right now have some decisions to make in your life that are very important. Show of hands. Wow. Notice I didn't just say have some decisions to make. I said some serious decisions to make. Faced with what do I do? How do I go about this? And isn't it funny too how that changes in the different seasons of our lives? Have you noticed that? If you're in the season that I'm in right now, I'm in the season of of still 15 years of marriage and getting ready to have three kids on my hand. Man, I need a lot of wisdom. <laughs> for all of you that have raised teenagers, I've got one turning into a teenager in like three or four months. I need some wisdom. So you, thank you. So, so you have like this side of, okay, in this season, God, what's the wisdom? that I need? But have you noticed when you get older and the kids are out of the house that you still have important decisions to make, even in a different season? What I'm trying to say is, is no matter what season you find yourself in, single, married, not married, young, old, no, I shouldn't say the word old, but it came out, can't take it back, you still have decisions to make. And they're important ones. And so a lot of the times we have these questions in our lives of, what, what do I do? How do I make this decision? And very simply, it's not one of my points, but it's very simple. You need to get godly wisdom. You need to be a person who's in pursuit of wisdom. So if there's anything that Solomon's life teaches us that we need to focus on today, that I feel God leading us to talk about today, it's this whole idea of what it means to be a person who is full of wisdom. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that all people have this in common. I believe that people want to be happy. Yes or no? Yeah. Have you ever met anybody who said, man, you know what? My goal in life is just to be miserable. 
Now, some of them might not say it that way, but their life kind of reflects that, right? But if you got down to the nitty gritty of it, they would say, I did not wake up today wanting to figure out how to ruin my life in such a way that I am miserable. No one signs up to do that. It's a, it's a case of choices over a period of time, but everybody wants some sense of what it means to be happy. Now, we don't all agree on what brings the greatest happiness, but can we all agree today that you want to be happy? We want to be happy, okay. This long is, it, it, it's not bad, it's good. So it leads me to point number one. I've got two points today, and then I've got five ways to gain godly wisdom, okay? So it's gonna seem like seven points, but these two are the big ones. Those five will go really quick. Number one is this. God made us to be eternally happy. We need to understand this. God wired you to be a person who has happiness in your life. Listen, I don't know a person who would want to be a part or be a Christian when they see a Christian who reflects a life of no happiness. You guys are getting quiet in here today. Please don't be quiet. Smile or something. (laughs) Be happy, right? Like, have you ever just been going along in life looking sad, depressed, angry, upset? Walked up to a person and said, hey, I love Jesus. (laughs) Probably can't tell by my face. I'm really happy. Want to come to church with me? It doesn't work. I, I I don't want this to be rude, but why would a person who has some sort of joy in their life Look at believers who have no joy in their life and do we actually think that they would want something to do with God when they see our lives reflecting someone with no joy? They won't. Because they have something, but here's what they don't understand. They have a joy that is temporary and that could fade away. We have a joy that is eternal. That's why when we say, because we have a joy that's eternal, we could understand that we could go through hard times and hard seasons as a believer and still have joy. Why? Because God made us to be eternally happy. Meaning, translation, life could stink, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when it's all said and done and I breathe my last breath, I'm going to heaven and that brings me joy. It's an eternal joy. Now, Of course, this does not mean that there is no discipline and no self-denial. If God wired us to be happy, there are still some things that we need to do. What it is, is it's a clear um, words from Jesus that self-denial is a means to saving our lives. What it simply means is that we must stop seeking our happiness in one way and start seeking it in another So in other words, what sets Christians apart from the world is not that we have given up on our our universal quest for happiness, but that we now seek our happiness from a different source and in different ways. So for me, I understand this to be true. I know this is a little theological here stuff, but God has wired me to be a happy person. So the point is, is where does my happiness come from? It's easy. It comes from the wisdom of God knowing right from wrong. So the point of the message is get wisdom. And what we should do is we should focus all of our efforts to become wiser. Everyone say wiser. We need to focus our efforts on being wiser tomorrow, but we have to learn it today. So let me ask this important question as we kind of get down to some nuts and bolts. Why is it so important 
to get wisdom. And why do we need to understand it? Now, the reason that getting wisdom is important is that it is the practical knowledge by which we gain this true and lasting happiness. Proverbs 3.13. Happy, everyone say happy, is the man who finds wisdom. Okay, and the man who gains understanding. Right there, the Bible says, if you're looking for wisdom and you're trying to gain understanding, you in turn find happiness. Proverbs 24, 13, my son, eat honey because it is good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. And if you have found it, there is a prospect and your hope will not be cut off. So in times when our hope is being stripped away by the circumstances of life, it's wisdom and gaining wisdom and gaining understanding that brings joy to who we are. In other words, by means of wisdom, you can make your way into a hope-filled future. So in other words, it's the key to lasting happiness is gaining in wisdom. Proverbs 19.8, let's keep going through some scriptures. And he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. That's good. And he who keeps understanding will find good. In other words, do yourself a favor. Get wisdom. It's good for your soul. Some of you say, man, I, I, I'm not really a smart person. It's nothing about being smart. It's simply saying I'm going to get better by only gaining wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 16, 16, again, how much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. In other words, the ultimate eternal happiness that all people long for. They think, well, if I get this, I'm happy. If I get that, I'm happy. No, no, no. If you get wisdom, you'll be happy. Do you remember what it said in Chronicles? That because Solomon wanted wisdom, what did he get in return? He could have said, hey, God, give me more money. That'll make you happy. Hey, God, give me a spouse. That'll make me happy. Hey, God, give me kids who obey. That will make me really happy. <laughs> oh, let me be more specific, God. Give me kids that obey from childbirth. I'm talking hour one to the minute they turn 18 and I kick them out of the house to go to college. I'm just joking. <laughs> like, you got to be sometimes specific with your prayers. Solomon could have said in his day, matter of fact, give me my enemies. Kill them now, Lord. He could have done that. Come on, put yourself in his shoes. If God shows up to you and says, hey, anything you want, it's all yours. The first thing coming to your mind is probably not wisdom. Am I right or wrong? Be honest, you're in church. Be honest, you're on church, in your home, in your pajamas, watching online. Be honest. Maybe you got dressed up. No one's doing that. But watch what happens. When you slow down and you read the scripture, it's amazing. God says, because you didn't ask for money and this and that and that, I'm going to give you wisdom. And let me ask you a question. Can wisdom make you more money? Oh, can wisdom give you insight on how to defeat the enemy? Do you see what's happening here? Like we're saying, come on, let's just be real. We're saying, God, I want this. And God's saying, if you ask me for wisdom, you'll eventually get that but I want you getting wisdom first. So, so why are we spending all this time trying to get the things that we want in shortcut ways, in the easiest way possible? Because we don't, we don't want it to work that hard for something good, right? 
Come on, I might be a little real here. Want to get rich quick. You know the Bible talks about that in the book of Proverbs? I'll give you the highlight. It's a dead end. Yet people spend their lives on the get rich quick scenarios. The Bible talks about that. Don't do it. It only leads to nothing. It leads to burnout. It leads to broken relationships. I can't get too deep on this one because then it might get controversial. I'm not shying away from it. I'm just saying. What if the question was, God, give me wisdom? We're going to see here in a moment. Did you know that God even gives wisdom to the ungodly? It's in the book of Proverbs. It says he gives wisdom to those who ask. God will give wisdom to a sinner who says, I just need some wisdom, God. How much more so will he give to a child of God? So no matter what you got going on in your life, God will give you wisdom. So, so there's this whole side of, of getting wisdom, which leads us to point number two. We've talked about this a little bit, but it's a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, again, Proverbs 9, 10, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the wisdom that leads to life and ultimate joy begins with knowing and fearing God. Now, fearing the Lord, let's go deeper on this one. Fearing the Lord means fearing to seek refuge and joy and hope anywhere other than in God. The fear of the Lord is therefore the beginning of wisdom, not only in the sense that it is my first step in a wise way to live, but also in the sense that the later characteristics of wisdom flow from a fear of the Lord. Proverbs eleven twelve. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Here's what I'm trying to say on the fear of God. When you walk in humility and not pride, he gives wisdom to the humble. You want to know why? Because when they get what they need, they give the glory to God and not to themselves. I mean this very respectfully, and even in my own life, there is nothing great within rich shepherd at all. It is only because of the grace of God and the goodness of God and dear goodness, the mercy and the grace of God. And I know that and I recognize that. See, when people make themselves to be the big deal, there's no humility in that. Listen, you will only have a good name by the mouths of other people, never yourself. The Bible says, let a man speak well of you. I don't, I don't mean this to prop myself up, and Timmy's going to get mad at me for saying this, but that's why even sometimes, too, I cannot stand when they post a picture of me with some quote that I probably got from somebody else who is much smarter than me. Because I don't want the attention drawn on me and people thinking I'm the big deal. I hate it. It's hard. Now I get, I get, I get, I get that it speaks to the unchurched. And I understand that can give you a place of influence. I'm not saying if there's a pastor that you love who posts pictures and videos of himself that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But it's very easy to tell who's humble about it and who's prideful about it. And God sees right through that. It's in our lives in the same way, guys. When we try to build a name for ourselves and make ourselves look good with our own words, you need to be careful because there can be pride that can seep in. 
God gives wisdom to the humble. Because if they're humble, God gets the credit, not, not themselves. And so I think humility, in turn, is foundational for the other aspects of godly wisdom. Because humility is teachable and open to change and growth. I didn't really have this in my notes, but as I was worshiping on the drums, I just kind of felt this, this, this idea or this, this whole understanding that when it comes to allowing people to speak into my life, it really reveals if I'm humble or if I'm not. Can I be real with you? Do you like when someone who doesn't know you very well tries to get into your life and tries to speak into it? You ever had like a distant relative that thinks just because you're a relative they can give you the facts of life at Thanksgiving? Some of you are getting quiet. You ever been in a group setting where in front of everybody a person just wants to set you straight on how you're wrong and they're right? How do you feel about that? Come on, you've been in settings, right, where people start to talk and they keep talking because they're trying to make themselves sound a whole lot smarter than they really are? Come on, how do you respond to that? Okay, I'm going to get really real. I'm a 39-year-old pastor. 39. I still feel like a kid to a lot of people. And I've noticed with not only the young, I live in a college town, no disrespect. Sometimes it's very hard to get through a college student. They've got out of the house, they're experiencing freedom. Respectfully, they know it all. And then they find out real quick when they graduate from college, they need some help. I mean, that respect, not all, not all. Very smart. Some, not so other. I was the not so other. <laughs> I thought I had it all figured out in college. That lasted a year. Not too very far. But I can tell you right now, when I speak to those that are older than me, and I never do it in a way that's like, you, I could tell just by the looks on their eyes how much they value what I'm saying. It's in the same way that all of us, when we talk to someone that's older or younger, the same way we respond. Because here's the thoughts that go through our mind. Well, what do they really know? They don't know what I do. Man, it is getting quiet. Are they that quiet online? Just curious. Can't see them or hear them. It's amazing, right? Are we allowed to speak freely in church, by the way? Like, just call it what it is? It's difficult because in our minds we say, well, there's no way they could know that much. And sometimes if you're not careful, you miss God speaking straight to you. You miss it. Because you have a wall up that says, no, 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 I'm above that. And if you're not careful, that pride will block you from what God's trying to say to you. Now, I'm not saying that to gain leverage in anybody's life. Don't need to do that. Because I know this to be true. Relational equity goes a long way. I love Perry. Perry's here today. I love Perry. Because Perry and I have relationship going on about three or four years, roughly in that part. If I ever felt God gave me a word for Perry, 
that might be a little hard to deliver because Perry knows that I have his best interests in mind and that I'm not using it for leverage or to make him look bad. I'm convinced Perry would receive that word. He just gave the thumbs up because he's cool like that. Why would Perry receive that? Because he knows I love him and I care for him and he knows that I pray for him. Now when the opposite comes, you don't know a person, you don't have a relationship, you don't create memories, you don't spend time together, and they try to speak into your life, you automatically put up a wall because you're saying to yourself, I don't know if they have my best interest in mind. I don't know if they know the full story. So this wall goes up. Are you seeing what I'm saying? This is where wisdom comes in because I'm going to tell you, in the day and age that we're in, God's going to speak to godly people and they're going to have to stand up in very turbulent times and receive the wisdom that God is trying to speak. In these kings' lives, it was no different. Why did Solomon want the wisdom of God? Because Solomon was going to have to deal with some very difficult stuff. So he needed the wisdom of God to share it. I'm going to give you an example, okay? I'm wrapping this up, promise. I'm going to take you to a story in the Bible that's going to seem very weird. You may have read this before. It's going to be a little bit lengthy, okay? So we're going to pop it up on the screens. We're going to pop it online. But we're going to read this whole story together, okay? It's about 12 verses. And it's going to sound very weird. But here's the point that I'm trying to get at. Sometimes, guys, the wisdom of God and the Word of God tells us exactly what to do in a situation. If we say, God, I need wisdom, God will give us wisdom. But what do you do with the scenarios in life that aren't in the Bible? What do you do with that? Now, some of you right there are going, no, no, no. The Bible speaks into everything. Right? It's what we say. Some of you, you're like, you don't know whether to shake or is he setting me up? What's going on here? I'm completely setting you up. There are going to be situations in your life, even though you have God's wisdom, you're going to encounter a situation where you're going to go, where can I find that example in the Bible? And guess what? You ain't going to find it. All right, so let's have some fun so you guys don't think I'm way off here. 1 Kings chapter 3 says this. Now two women who were harlots, another word for a prostitute, they came to the king, speaking of Solomon, and stood before him. And one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. And then it happened the third day that after I had given birth, that this woman also gave birth and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. Okay, so get the picture in your mind. So verse 20, she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom. I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 19. And this woman's son died the night before because she laid on him. Okay, so I'm sorry, I totally skipped that one. Very important to the story. She rolled over, smothered the baby. The baby died. Rough story. Verse 20. So she arose in the middle of the night and she took my son from my side and while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. This is getting weird. 
And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. The Jerry Springer show is going off in this moment. <laughs> Thus they spoke before the king. Let me stop there, okay? So let's paint the picture. Two ladies, they each have kids. They go to sleep. One rolls over, smothers the baby. The baby dies. She wakes up. She notices it. She's going to trick the other lady. She swaps babies. They wake up. She goes to nurse. That's not my kid. This is getting weird. You stole my kid. You stole my kid. Let's go to the king. They go to the king. It's a crazy situation. Has anybody ever heard of this before? Nope. All right. So verse 23, and the king said, this is where, this is where wisdom comes in. And the king said, the one who says, this is my son who lives, and your son, excuse me, is the, dead, is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. I'm like, Solomon, can we simplify this verse? Verse 25, watch what the king does. Sorry, my allergies are getting me. Whew. And the king said, divide the living child into two. Yep, so what I knew that was going to be the reaction. He said, get a sword in front of these two ladies and whoever else was in there. He said, get a sword. We're going to cut this baby right into two. Woo! Man, it went from the Jerry Springer show to the first 48, man. And give half to one and half to the other. Verse 26. Then the woman said, whose son was living, spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Let me slow down. The one who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is my kid. Put yourself in the story. You're not just going to say, but wait, it's my kid. With compassion. You can imagine emotion, tears, panic, anxiety. That's my baby. Yet the other one says, now go ahead. Divide it into two. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child the f who was the first woman it was the real mom give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him she is his mother now watch here and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now I know that's a lengthy portion of scripture, but let me just let me just clarify it. Let's go back all the way to our opening scripture. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom for what? To do exactly what he did right here. To judge God's people. 
to make the right decisions, to make the correct call. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Solomon learn this scenario from a previous scripture in the Bible? Is there a verse that says when two people come to you who had a baby and they both, one dies and they swap it up, hey, this is what you do? It wasn't in there. I know I'm taking a moment here because I got to tell you, there's going to be some things that you encounter in life where it's going to be hard to maybe find a scripture on it. So what do you do? You trust God for wisdom. That's why when a person says it's an impossible situation, no, it's not. There's always something we can do. But it takes wisdom. So, as we close, super quick, as we close, how do I get this wisdom that only comes from God? Number one is this. You have to desire wisdom with all your might. Notice the word all with all of your might. Proverbs 4 eight. exalt her, speaking of wisdom, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom can sometimes be referred to as her. So the scripture here is saying, embrace wisdom, and wisdom will promote you. When you honor wisdom, honor will embrace you. But you have to go with it with everything that you have. Notice, these aren't cheap words. To prize something and to embrace someone are signs of an intense desire in love. So wisdom must be valuable for us. And we have to go after it with all that we have. Number two is you have to apply yourself to study and meditation of God's word. If you want to grow in wisdom, you've got to apply yourself. In other words, what I'm saying is, is yes, we can pray for wisdom. We're going to get to that. But there's also wisdom from God that comes by studying and knowing God's word but you have to apply yourself to it now I know I'm going a little bit long but let me just show you one thing that changed my life I'm convinced it'll change all of our lives I think as a Christian as a believer we should consistently be putting ourselves through the Bible which is why we're doing this series and through books that help us understand theology biblical truths like guys look at me real quick it should be a practice of your life and listen I can get you a list of the books that you could read as a pastor there is a side of me that has to protect you from wrong literature it's in the Bible we call those wolves in other words there are things that have been written by people that they claim to be godly but when you compare them next to the scripture they're far from it Okay, so my job as a pastor, I, I, this, you might disagree with this, but my job as a pastor is not to, to, to teach you the Bible. Now I'm gonna preach the Bible, you're gonna get to, my job is to teach you how to study your Bible. That's my bigger goal. If I go long today, you get me for 45 minutes a week. That's not enough for you to grow spiritually. You need to grow on your own throughout the week. So it's my job to teach you how to do that. So I know what you're saying. You want me to read a theological book on the Bible or on God? Uh-huh. And you're saying, I'm not that smart. Join the club. Here I am. So here's how I learned how to do it. I'm going to give you some numbers here, okay? I've been dying to get to this part right here. Because I'm telling you, I think this could change a lot of things for you. Okay. 
Suppose you read about 250 words a minute and you decided to devote 15 minutes a day to serious theological reading to deepen your grasp of biblical truth. Follow with me. 250 words, that's a good steady pace. Some of you are like, no, I can't do that. That's like my pace and I stumble over like every fourth word. 15 minutes every day. In one year, 365 days, you will have read for 5,475 minutes within a year. It's pretty good. Now, multiply that times 250 words per minute and you get 1,368,750 words per year. Some of you are like, I came to church for reading and math today. Yes. Okay? Now, most books have between 300 and 400 words per page. Watch here. So if I take the 350 words per page and divide that into 1,368,750 words per year, we get 3,910 pages in a year. This means, this means, ready? At 250 words a minute for 15 minutes a day, you could read about an average of 20 books a year. Now, some of us haven't read one book in a year. I've been there. Anybody else? Hand up, hand up, feet up, toes up. I got everything up. <laughs> you wanna know why? Here's why. Because I didn't have a plan. I just didn't have a plan. Honestly, I don't like reading. You wanna know when that changed? When I finished my first book. I felt such accomplished. I like accomplishment. I read a whole book. You wanna know what makes it better? When you're reading a book about a God who is madly in love with you and cares so much for you and wants you to have the wisdom so you can have happiness. The reason a lot of us didn't read books when we were growing up is because we didn't care about the subjects. Let me ask you a question. Do you care about God? Of course you do. Then it's time to start reading about God because my wisdom that I get from God is tied to my happiness. It changed my life. So I think some of us need to go home today. We need to pull out our calendars if you roll that way. If you don't, it's cool. And you need to look for 15 minutes in your day where you can be uninterrupted and devote yourself to deepening your understanding of the Bible. It would change everything. Number three, simply put, you got to pray for wisdom. I won't read these scriptures. I'll just say them. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, but I will read James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. That's a promise. Ask for wisdom. Wait on God. He'll give you an answer. Number four, you're not going to like this one, but think often of death. That's weird. You're telling me to become wise that I need to think of death. You need to think of your death. What does that lead me to? So glad you asked. Psalm 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart 
of wisdom. So when you understand that your life is here, it's but a vapor, and then you're gone, you start to live for what matters most, which causes you to get wise. I only have so many years to impart as much wisdom to that young man back there on the computer until he becomes his own man. And I'll still have a place in his life until he learns how to take wisdom on for himself. I got to number my days with my boys, with my soon-to-be little girl. I have to number my days as a pastor and try to impart wisdom. So when I think of death often, it causes me to be in the moment now to impart as much wisdom as I possibly can. And number five, if you want wisdom, you must come to Jesus. It's as simple as that. I'm looking around this room. I know all of you. You love Jesus. You're born again. Some of you fill with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues. Remember that old school song, I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized. Yep, some of you, you fit that description really good. I'm old school like that. But here's the deal. If I want wisdom, if an unbeliever wants wisdom, can I tell you what their first step needs to be and what you need to say to them? You want wisdom? You need to go to Jesus. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Amen? You guys have been so great today. I know in the year of the Bible, to cover a person's life and a big theme that applies to you and I, sometimes it's very hard for me to do in 35 minutes. It's like a fight every single week in my notes. Like, God, how do I do this? I love it, though. But what I'm really trying to say to you is this. You want true happiness? Seek wisdom. I'll, I'll say this lastly. This is my prayer every single day. I pray this every day. I say, God, give me favor. This is my prayer in the mornings. God, give me favor. And I'll, I'll usually repeat this to myself. I don't need everyone to like me. I just need the right people too. Because I've learned that Jesus was the very son of God who did everything right and they still despised him. So when I pray that prayer every single day, I realize that no matter how kind I am, people might not like me and that's okay. So I say, God, give me favor. The second thing I pray for is God, give me wisdom. Wisdom comes in three ways. Wisdom comes through pain. In other words, life will teach you. Pain will teach you. Wisdom comes through people. So I have to subject myself to wise counsel. So God today puts somebody in my path who's wise counsel. But then thirdly, wisdom comes through prayer. If I pray, God gives. And then you guys know, because you've heard me share this, the last thing I pray is, God, give me the ability to do something for someone today who can never repay me. That's my prayer every single morning. I want to help people, not just in our church. Of course, I want to help you. Absolutely. You guys are rocking. But God, if I'm out at the store or if I'm out watching a football game with my son or God, if I get away for three days with my family to Santa Cruz to find out that there's a man sitting across from me at a pool who lost his wife and his 11-year-old son told my boys that he wants to see his mommy again. And when my boys asked where he's at, he pointed up to the sky. I said, God, can I just, God, can you give me a word for that man today? And this past week, I walked across that pool to a man who's raising a son 
without his mother who no longer has a wife. And I said, God, give me a word. This man, he could never repay me with a kind word. He doesn't even live in the same town that I live in. But God, I just want to be a blessing. God, I want to represent you. And what does God do? God gives you a word. I got to speak it over that man. And I got to watch him smile and thank me. And I got to tell him, man, Jesus loves you. See what I'm getting at? Those are the things that make a difference.